Hello, it's Sarah here, and welcome to the Rise Priestess podcast. This is a podcast for healers and leaders, the potent priestesses, witches, activists, and Aquarians of the world who are here to contribute to the liberation of people and the healing of our planet. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Coxon. I'm an archaeologist turned author, priestess, healer, inner alchemy witch, business strategist, and regenerative guide. I'm here to help you heal from stress and hustle, bring forth your most potent medicine into the world, and increase your capacity to receive everything you need to flourish and thrive. Because your expansion is a gift to the world. I'm so glad to welcome you here, and I'm excited to dive into today's episode. Welcome, my loves. So I just want to say a massive thank you for tuning in. Did you know that the podcast is coming up to celebrating its fourth year and our community has grown quite a fair amount over that time? And if I'm honest, I don't think that I thought I'd still be podcasting four years later, but I clearly love the sound of my own voice, so here I am. And you may have noticed, if you've been with me from the beginning, that there have been several pivots over the years, but I do think that the core message has stayed fairly consistent, that by healing, by deconditioning, and coming home to ourselves, we can access our medicine and share it wide, because that's what the world needs. So thank you for your continued support. And in this episode, I am so honored to introduce you to the work of Gabes Torres. She is a therapist living in the Philippines. And for those of you that don't know, I used to live in the Philippines uh, many, many years ago. Her work centers around anti-oppressive ways of being and relating, racial identity and growth, ancestral trauma and healing, community care and safety, and international solidarity. We had such a beautiful and profound and thought-provoking conversation that really stayed with me for days after, and I cannot wait for you to hear the wisdom that Gabe's has to share. Oh, Gabe's, I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the show. Mm, Thank you for having me. Oh, we've had a very brief conversation, but already I'm feeling a lot of resonance and I'm very excited about the topics that we're going to most likely be diving into. Um, I always like to start a little bit with how I came across your work, just to set the context for how this conversation came to be. So I actually came into contact with you and your work very, very recently. I was listening to a conversation between you and um, Kamea Shane on the Green Dreamer podcast And there was something in the way that you were speaking about um, abolition and mental health and decolonizing healing that really, really spoke to me. And then I found out that you are from the Philippines and living in the Philippines. And that's a place very dear to my heart because I spent, um, yeah, a good portion of my 20s there. I called it home for a little bit. And so I'm just so grateful that you said yes to coming on the podcast. And I guess we'll just maybe start with perhaps you can introduce who you are, the work that is currently lighting you up, 
and maybe also some key moments that led to where you are now. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited too. <laughs> Feeling a lot of things in my, in my tummy. Um, let's see. So as you said, my name's Gabes and I am, intros are so difficult for me, but I would just say right now that I am a therapist, a writer, and an artist. The work that I focus on would be um, justice-oriented practice, intersecting that with collective healing. And specifically right now, um, now that I'm in the global South, I focus a lot on offering care, peer support to to organizers, um, youth climate activists, and human rights defenders, especially with a lot of things happening in the global south that are often unreported. So um, offering care to those who are who have high exposure to trauma and violence by the state, and um, seeing what it's like to co-create and pursue sustained healing. That's also outside of the state that causes a lot of the trauma. So yes to abolition and intersecting that with mental health care and um, reimagining what healing looks like. I feel like right now that's an intro that's appropriate. Some um, key moments that led to who and where I am right now would be so when I was in grad school, I studied post-colonial theology. I came from, uh, yeah, <laughs> I came from a um, a Christian tradition within the Filipino context. So I have this curiosity around, you know, why is it that a huge amount of Filipinos, whether that may be in the motherland and also in the diaspora, lean into uh, Catholic and Christian tradition, faith traditions, and there's a tendency collectively to villainize, demonize, um, reject pre-colonial spiritualities. So that was kind of like the, one of the, some of the questions that I have, why is there an inferior, inferior, uh, inferiority complex when it comes to our own? And then um, more, and why is it that we, uh, rely on and superiorize Western, white Western thoughts and traditions. In my exploration of that, I came across a lot of studies and there at that time were relatively new frontiers learning about the intergenerational transmission of trauma. And that to me was, was compelling. And even though the sciences confirmed this, there was a part of me that intuitively already knew <laughs> what was going on, that perhaps a lot of the tears that I shed are not that of my own. They are my own, but also that of my ancestors. Why is it that whenever I read historical literature on colonialism, I feel so much in my body? And wouldn't it be nice if these, if this research were incorporated in my own therapy work? in healing practices, um, exploring the collectivity of trauma and of healing, but not just like in a, a horizontal sense, but also in a vertical sense where what if I have inherited um, experiences and coping mechanisms, survival strategies from ancestors who endured and survived and even perished in the name of invasion, colonialism, and imperialism. So that's when I'm like, okay, let's 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 see what it what it means to study the brain and the mind and the body. And 
what is it like to um, to integrate all that I know and live by, integrate my own experiences with community and my experiences with medicine um, into this work. And um, there's something about being back in the motherland that made that inter reintegration more pronounced and more embodied and a literal return <laughs> and a literal remembering of sorts, a literal reintegration too. Um, so I think, yeah, that that's what feels present right now in this journey back. It's, it's interesting because when we think about journeys and progress, we think about like forward thinking. We think about a place that's not been reached. And in my own story specifically, it's like a return, um, a, a remembering, you know, and um, and I'm still like sitting with that, seeing what that might look like for me in my own healing journey as I get to know and love myself again in the motherland and the context of the motherland with the the language that I first knew and the the food that I uh, the set of foods that I once tasted and the waves that once touched me. So here we are. Wow. Wow. There's so much that I want to un unpack in, in that. But yeah, I think what I'm what I'm hearing then is that your work is really about a reclamation of self mm -hmm. and of ancestry and also like um like a, a recontextualization of mm -hmm. mental health. Like it doesn't just happen. These these symptoms that we have they don't just happen in a vacuum. They happen because of the systems that we are part of and also what we are bringing through us in our ancestral line. And that's what I absolutely love about your work. It's just, it's so incredibly holistic. Mm. And also it's really interesting. I think this is, this is something that I haven't actually spoken about, but what I noticed when I was living in the Philippines all those years ago, I felt that, um, that kind of putting white western culture particularly american culture like on a pedestal i felt that from a lot of my filipino friends mm -hmm. and as i reflect on that now there was a deep discomfort within me that i couldn't really name at the time and i couldn't really i didn't even really know what it was and now through your work and my own work and you know i really i really i'm starting to contextualize that for myself as well what made me feel uncomfortable and why on some level there were many factors as to why I decided to not stay there permanently. But actually that was, if I'm being honest, that was also one of them. I felt like maybe I was perpetuating something I didn't want to be perpetuating and I didn't quite have the, the language or the awareness then to be able to even open up discourse mm -hmm. about it. So I just wanted to name that in this space, probably for the first time actually I've ever named mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for naming that complexity and that tension um, yes. in a way too. like whenever I talk, whenever um, I some community members and me, even mentees and I talk about complicity or maybe even guilt or maybe even shame around that, um, there's a there's a part of me that wants to even tell them to stay with it. Because I the last thing that I want you to do is to be desensitized to it. But also recognize that shame has a, a, a tendency to make us debilitated or demotivated. So may that um, may these may that tension actually transform, regenerate, and recreate into something different, something new, um, instead of having it debilitate us. But to not be desensitized to it. 
That's really beautiful. Yeah, I really, I really love that. And I really, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that, well, there are, there are many different threads and elements to your work. I guess what I'm most curious about is when people come to work with you, like, are they already aware of the systemic factors or is it something that you you kind of um, emerges through the work together I'm curious about the I don't want to say it's not the level of awareness but I'm curious about the awareness there of mm-hmm. of the intersectionality between mental health and systemic violence and right. yeah yeah more often than not there is that awareness mm-hmm. and there. Um, so two things come to mind. One is how, and we talked about complicity a, a moment ago. It, one would be, uh, how do they contend with that complicity? How do they work with the some of the guilt that they have with that complicity? Because most of the people who come to me are already practicing or are students within the fields of mental health. Mm-hmm. So um, ever, especially ever since the 2020 uprisings and a lot of which the, the pandemic has unveiled, um, People are beginning to question their own um, participation, whether that may be direct or indirect participation in the systems of oppression that to some extent all of us are complicit to. And so they come to me with that awareness and to know what to do with um, with how they feel, with that tension, with the um, with the questions of do I stay in an industry that can that replicates the environments of the carceral system that is connected to the prison industrial complex? What do I do? And then the second thing is how do we material materialize what we know? Because um, while theory and ideology and awareness are so important, um, we also have to see how we can be action-based and sustainable in our um, in our strategy and in our actions. But I feel like we um, there's no order uh, as to how this all works. It always depends on the person. It always depends on their context. Um, sometimes we talk about ideology the whole session or support group, or maybe we talk more about strategy in the next. Um, We oscillate from theory and praxis all the time, which I think um, can be helpful. And um, it just speaks to the time that we're living in that um, invites a little bit of flexibility on our, on our end too, because we're continuously rediscovering so much, so many things about ourselves and about our environments. But one thing for sure is we almost always conclude a session knowing that we need community in the engagement of theory and practice. Like no matter what, it will always be in the context of relationship that we are able to embody, materialize and experience or reach the places where we get healed and we get free. So that's the thing that I'm almost always certain of that we need each other and not just like human species, but the ecosystem at large, like beyond human species. Yes. Yeah. That really reminds me of um, the concept of kinship and kinning as a a verb. Like we do kinning, um, not just within our our species, but also between species. And 
um, I always joke with a lot of my clients, it's a kind of a ongoing joke how, yeah, like it's completely normal that we are talking to trees as we're walking past them <laughs> and things like that. And, and, you know, that becomes our resource as well. That becomes our yeah. way of, of connecting to that which is stable in the field because, you know, it feels like everything is really, particularly since 2020, really like um, accelerating there's a lot that's kind of like churning up and a lot that's like really shifting. We have to find ground with each other and within ecosystems. Otherwise it becomes just so, so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess I'm really curious about, it's been a while since I've been in the Philippines, like your assessment on the mental health, the state of mental health in the Philippines, perhaps in the past few years, what you mm-hmm. feel has maybe contributed to some of that um what your vision is perhaps as well like for for the future of your motherland and for maybe the future of our global community Mm. like I'm I'm really curious about that Mm, thank you so much such a loving question (laughs) I'm I'm just feeling that quite I love beautiful questions I love beautiful questions more than (laughs) conclusive answers (laughs) So I feel so much as you asked that question. Um, so just to give folks some context, um, mental health awareness, depression, anxiety, et cetera, are such a stigma in the Philippines, um, especially before 2020. Thankfully, recently, there's a bit more awareness, sadly, within really dire circumstances because of the pandemic and we had a a stricter lockdown system here in the Philippines, which really aggravated mental health struggles um, with the many limitations and over-policed neighborhoods here. Um, The pandemic was basically weaponized by the government um, to, to, uh, to strengthen the police system somehow. Um, So my hope for the motherland, um, (laughs) that we and this ties back to what we were talking about earlier that we would return to our roots and understanding our medicine in so many ways yes it's important to have um, scientific literature that comes from the west um, that comes from um, systems outside of our own uh, and I really, really want to obliterate the inferiority complex when it comes to um, our ways of perceiving ourselves as less than anything and anyone foreign, um, anything and anyone Western or white, et cetera, that we would learn how to trust ourselves. Because honestly, as I look into the, the journey and the progression of of clinical literature around healing, there's a a draw to somatics, there's a draw to the spiritual, there's a draw to rhythm, to community. A lot of these themes are natural to not just folks here in the Philippines, but most of the global South that have more collectivist inclinations, that are more spiritual, like the, that are, who are more, um, what I noticed ever since coming back here in the Philippines, there's a People will call it superstition, but I also think that it's a a, a closer proximity to the spirits of the land, of the islands, too. Um, Even if we name it Catholic or Christian, 
it still feels very pre-colonial spiritual. So yes to reclamation in the ways that we um, have healing practices and find our medicine. And I, how I also desire for, there is a lot of care for the land here. And it's still, there still feels like a severance from the land, from the ocean. And that's, of course, like because of the tourism industry, because of capitalism, because of um, global, the global trading system, that a lot of our resources, our natural resources, the best of them are exported. And I feel like that's what part of the the immense severance that we have from the land. Because um, honestly, the Philippines, if we were to look at our natural resources, we are rich. And yet poverty is pervasive here. Um, so I hope that that realization um, does happen. It is scary because of uh, the state. It Because... If we are to share this story, share these ideas, it is dangerous, but we got to realize, or I got to um, realize or remember that the reason why it's dangerous is because we have the power as the people. <laughs> There's something about reckoning with and reawakening to who we are and what we are capable of and what we already have, which is abundant, all abundant, um, that makes us say that enough is enough and that is scary to the powers that be mm. my inner aquarium is just like yes <laughs> as you're speaking to that um what a beautiful vision and what is so beautiful is that there's obviously you know contextually that sits within your motherland but also i can resonate with so much of that um you know globally as well and and I feel so much um just so much sadness and possibility and hope all at the same time yeah um yeah so thank you so much for sharing that um I'm like sending so much so many blessings to you and yours for that vision to come into fruition Hmm. we had a little conversation before we started recording about healing and this idea that healing isn't just the the absence absence of like symptoms that it's actually something so much deeper and wholer and truer and alive and I'm I would love to hear your your thoughts and your approaches on what healing means to you yeah thank you so yes so ever since having an American education one of the things that I noticed was that healing um was confused with like finding healing was kind of confused with finding a cure mm. like a cure um mainly means finding the antidote to alleviate the the manifestations of pain and of illness the symptoms as you said earlier 
And there's nothing innately wrong with trying to find a cure, with trying to alleviate and ease the pain and the symptoms. Like, of course, like that's part of the reason why I would go to a doctor in the first place. Um, whereas healing for me and my, ex my continuous exploration of it as a, a continuous student is, um, well, one, it's mm -hmm. not just about absence. It's also about presence. It's the presence of, of aliveness, of beauty, of connection, the presence of desire and the, the presence of risk-taking and experimentation even. Because if my life were just about, was just about the absence of, you know, such and such, I, I don't know, it just feels limited. Like I would want my therapist, I would want my community or my communities to ask, you know, what is it that, um, what am I about? You know, <laughs> you know, what is it that um, makes me get up in the morning? Um, what is it that I want to read? What is it that I want to talk about? These simple, or not really simple, well, yeah, kind of like simple everyday things. Because um, one of the things that I observed in the the therapeutic or the mental health industry at large was, you know, how do we treat a patient and treat them so that they can go back to work when work is the reason why they're going to therapy in the first place. So it ends up being a cycle, you know, like the reasons why they're stressed or their, their stress levels are unattended to and that they need medication is because of capitalism is because of the demands and pressures of society to look and be a certain way, you know, to put a mask on, to be a robot, to be a machine, to be used by the system so that the system could profit so that we can continue surviving. And then what ends up happening is that we try to get our care and our medication from the same system that gets us sick in the first place and that keeps us sick. So that's the cycle. And I feel like healing not just exposes that, but interrupts that cycle, interrupts that cycle. So it's not the kind of healing that is you know, Hallmark card kind of feelings. <laughs> this is the kind of healing that can also be messy. And when we attend to a wound, and especially if it's a, a pretty serious injury or one that is, you know, infected, let's say, and forgive the, the just the graphicness of it, but it's not pretty to get to the root of where that infection lies. Some, like you gotta have to, it's painful, you know, to get to the core, um, to get to the core of where the infection resides. Like it, it can be gross even. And so that to me is what healing is where we sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time we do get our hands dirty. And most of the time it does take assessing where the illness or the system is coming from the first place the very root cause of it, instead of just attending to the symptom, we get to the story, we get to the root of why it exists in the first place, and we interrupt that. So that's what healing means for me is to get to the root, and to also seek what makes us come alive, what 
gets us back in touch with our humanness because we've been pressured to function like machines without emotion, without um, the ability to be fatigued or exhausted because of the demands of society. What is it like to get back in touch with our humanity, our humanness, our even our inner animal, our inner mam mammal even? Mm, I just, I'm just loving absolutely everything you say and and yeah it's so much of healing is is really about creating that space for our own ability to actually heal to come online but that you know that means going against what we've been taught and for some people it's actually just not possible you know if you're in survival or if you're in poverty or you know it's I think about that a lot you know I think about how privileged I am to be able to if I need to, to take time out it doesn't mean I always do because it's so ingrained that got to keep going got to keep going got to be productive like all the narratives there mm -hmm. but for many people how yeah it's like it's like being in an abusive relationship like the, the abuser the system like mm -hmm. and yeah. and I, I can speak from my own experience here you look to the abuser for your support and it's really it's just all kinds of messed up really oh. and I love what you're saying as well about this like focusing on aliveness focusing on beauty focusing on what matters and I feel like that for me was what was missing from a lot of traditional therapy that I ever went in and that's when I never really went down that route that mm -hmm. training route it was like there's something about that that like it's it's not mm -hmm. there like it's only a fraction of what's available what like what's available to us mm -hmm. so I just love that you've brought that into your work and mm -hmm. that we're speaking about this mm -hmm. we have a lot of practitioners therapists coaches listening to this podcast who I'm sure many are like yes this is amazing um and are probably very interested in the intersectionality between systems of oppression and healing um I guess what advice I mean do you have any advice or what wisdom would you give to a practitioner who is wanting to explore more decolonizing their own um healing approaches to healing with their clients I, I don't know if you have anything to share on that yeah well, first of all, thank you for the work that you do. It is not easy to be able to hold space and to be this exposed to um, to some degrees of trauma. But I also recognize the the honor and the the beauty that is to witness stories. Um, so thank you, thank you for the light that you bring, the hope that you bring to your community, to your clients, to um, all whom you accompany in this life towards healing, liberation, interdependence, whatever word lands for you. Thank you for choosing love. Um, systems. Um, this is gonna be, uh, this is like a, a, a buzzword in the organizing community. But um, one of the things that I, find important as a, 
a practitioner, as a therapist, is to understand the landscape that which I work from, that I work in and operate from. Sometimes it takes really knowing the field and all of the, we call it pillars of support. Like what is it that holds the industry together to be able to see? And I know that it does require some research, but to some extent, we do need to see where we have to be decolonized from to know where we're decolonizing for and towards, right? And I know that therapists, at least from my experience, have a tendency to be rock stars at emotions. But when it comes to taking down notes and research, it can be a bit of a challenge to be technical, but we got this. But the word is uh, power structure analysis. So basically, it's just, again, like assessing the terrain, understanding or seeing, locating us um, where we are situated. Um, so that if we want to initiate change in policy, in the rules that the community, the mental health community that you are in, um, are, is imposing that you think is contradictory to what, to your purpose, to your ethos, then you'll be able to know, um, honestly, who to pressure, <laughs> who to ask and email or demand change from, who is it who is in the position of power to create the change that you want um, systemically within the community mental health world, or maybe your, um, your counseling agency, et cetera. If you're in private practice, my question for you is to um, be able to understand the degree, all of us are complicit, but perhaps understand, not perhaps, understand the degree, the extent of how complicit you are in the system and see how you could redress or diminish that complicity. Perhaps it's by way of sliding scale. Perhaps it's also um, redistributing a portion of your funding to grassroots organizers, um, to human rights activists, to black and brown neighbors or students. Um, so that also demand, not demand, but invites some research as well. But I, I would, it kind of like helps us assess the proximity that we have to power um, and to not be again, like desensitized to our complicity. There's so much, um, there's so much change that we could do with our access to power as, as clinicians, as healers with the knowledge that we have or in the awareness that we have of the mind, body and spiritual connections that I feel like we have such a, I don't like using the word advantage, but in a way it is an advantage um, in, in knowing what would be sustainable to the community as we keep pursuing change. I would say too that um, healers can even volunteer um, to offer peer support work um, to uh, to the organizers at a local level um, in your local neighborhood. I would also um, suggest looking at the education and training that you had as well. Like what are the theories and approaches and methods that have been dominant that uh, influence your practice? See which parts of it are, um, are individ hyper-individualistic, which parts of it have some punitive um, or punishment basis, another word for it, or carceral or uh, prison-like um, 
behavior or, or, or strategies, because there's so much of that, especially in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, with the reward and punishment systems. So take a step back and look at the way that you listen. Um, listen to yourself, listen, and ask, you know, what is it in my practice that needs some transformation, that needs um, even like accountability, like have a, an accountability partner to, to, um, to bear witness to what you have created or co-created and see what can be reshaped. We're always evolving. And that includes the, the work and practices that we have. Um, and it's so wonderful that we can evolve that we are dynamic, that we, that our brains are wired not to be stagnant or static. And so, um, and I know that it can be overwhelming, like even thinking about this too, I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm like, Gabe's, you're like asking them to do so much, but um, I guess I would go back to the sense of aliveness again. Like, what is it? Maybe have like a ritual or, um, or maybe by the end of the week, ask yourself, what is it that makes you come alive? What is it that allows rest? And I don't just mean like the absence of, of the tasks, of errands, <clears throat> of the work, but rest as in like full, whole rest. Um, one question that I ask myself, like, how was I a lover today? And not just like a lover, like in a traditional sense, romantic, monogamous sense of lovership, although it's a part of it, but lover of friendships lover of beauty, of poetry, of, of cinema. <laughs> I'm, I'm big on cinema. Um, how am I human, you know, today? Um, more than a machine, more than a tool of the system, but to humanize and rehumanize over and over again, because that is you first and foremost, as before you're even a therapist, a practitioner, you are human. Um, and what is it like to soften with that and sit with that and rest with that? Not just idea, that truth. Wow. Wow. There's just so much beauty and wisdom in what you just shared. I feel very emotional. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And the phrase that, that comes to mind is, yes, we've got work to do, but we can do it from a joyful place. We can do it from a resourced place. We can do it in community. Um, I think a lot of the people listening here may recognize the, the tendrils of saviorism that mm. can come in yeah. and unhooking from that um, can take as long as it takes. But ultimately, yeah, we have work to do and we can do it joyfully, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I've just absolutely love this conversation it's such a joy to have you here and that yeah um yeah it's really making me feel very rooted and also um like there's a there's a new resolve I can feel mm. of like the part that wow. that I personally feel that I'm here to play and yeah it just it's kind of reignited that like, new resolve mm. um and also a confirmation that mm -hmm. this is the work you know, it really mm -hmm. feels very true. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I guess my final question is, how can we support you and your work? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so because a lot of the folks that I work with are 
mostly grassroots folks. We, the, how the redistribution process looks like is that I either support them for free or for little. So if y'all could go to my Instagram or even gabestorres.com, you can find um, some, some sections that would say how you can support me, which are through the platforms of PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App. And if other platforms are needed, you it's so easy to reach out to me. You can just go to gabestorres.com and complete the contact form and know that y'all's resources are going to go a long way and are going to help with sustainable or sustained care to a lot of folks who are at, who are at the forefront of this work. Um, and yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. I barely touch, but, um, <laughs> but again, like I, I try to be really, I try to be really human in these platforms. And so, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of resources there too, like abolition and mental health guidebooks. And um, I have a syllabus on racialized and migration trauma and, and looking at alternatives um, beyond the mental health system, um, at least in the West, like how to attend or treat such traumas and find such medicine. So yeah, a lot of them are on the website. Mm, I love that. And we'll make sure that um, we put them in the show notes as well. So you guys thank can you. go there and click all those links. Gabe, thank you so much for your time. It's been such an honor to spend time with you and I'm truly grateful. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rise Priestess podcast. And I'd love to invite you to consider perhaps sharing this episode on your social media stories to spread the word. There is way more goodness where this came from. If you'd like to go deeper with my work and receive free exclusive monthly inspiration, contemplations and practices that I don't share anywhere else, then you can sign up for the Regenerate newsletter by heading over to drsarahcoxon.com and following the link. See you over there and thanks for tuning in.